Good morning. It's good to be here with you. Once again, I've preached here a few times. I've been up here doing other things a few times. I've never been here since this new <clears throat> stand got put in. I was here a few weeks back when Paul said they had to do this because he's half Italian and needed a boost. That's what he said. Um, I'm a quarter Austrian, and uh, we don't quite have the same uh, issue, but still, it's really nice to be here and have this new view um, looking from this perch. And great to be able to open God's Word with you. I'm going to begin by reading this passage of Scripture from Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all things far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I said it is good to be here and as Rick mentioned I'm currently serving uh, in an interim capacity at Church of the City in Guelph and Church of the City is similar in many ways to Redeemer it's a downtown church very similar demographic a lot of students a lot of families with children and and some um, veterans as well and I, I served there um, when people ask me about the church, often an interim goes into a church, and this church is between, you know, its lead pastor has moved on and they're figuring out where to go from here, and, and often when an interim goes into a church, the, the church is in some disarray. There's a lot of, there, there's, there's tension, there's some trouble to work through. Um, and this isn't a perfect church that I'm serving at, but when people ask me about it, I say, you know, we have some work to do, but it's a good church. A good church. And it's kind of an understated way of putting it, but that's how we tend to refer to kind of churches that we want to be part of. 
the kind you want to raise your kids in, that you want to be at, that you'd like to invite your neighbors to. We, we, want to, we all want to be part of a, a, a good church. It's got a good vibe, good community, a good spirit, solid teaching, good worship. We want to be part of a good church. I think KW Redeemer is it's a good church. People ask me, what's your church like? Yeah, it's a good I'll go on from there. But anyhow, that's kind of how we refer to it. Uh, the question then is, where do good churches come from? And do, do we just stay that way? Because even if you say it's a good church, like I'm working with this church in Guelph, they, they want to not just stay where they are, but working through how, where are we going forward? We're clarifying mission and vision and strategizing for the future. What's the future staff team going to look like? And I don't think people at KWD are thinking we're just, we're perfect, we're there, and we just maintain. So where do good churches come from and how do we keep moving in that direction? You could say that good churches are planted. Redeemer's a plant, Church of the City, where I'm at, Guelph is a church plant. It's a little bit older, but like there's a lot of similarities between these two churches. And, and planting a church, and I've known church planters, I've been part of one actually many years ago in Alora. It's a great opportunity to build a perfect church. Because you get to design it just how you want it, put it all nice on paper. You get to recruit a launch team and be very selective uh, who's going to really help this thing get started, established, and be a good church? And then you launch it, and it's perfect on day one. And day two comes, and you know it, just, it won't just stay that way. Now, I can't get up here and Paul dunks Paul. I could, actually. I have several times. But I, I, I'm tempted, and I'm going to take the advantage, the opportunity to talk about cars for just a brief second. If you've been around here any amount of time, you know Paul loves his Formula One and spends his Mondays in his garage polishing parts, I don't know what, but parts of his old BMW. He loves cars. And Paul and I have some things in common, but uh, I'm a minivan kind of guy. <laughs> and I bought my van brand new. I drove it off the lot and it was perfect. But you know what happened then. That was just, that was the only moment when it was like that. And, and after, over time, it needs maintenance. Sometimes because it breaks down, you have to repair it. Sometimes it just needs preventive maintenance. Some people soup their cars up and add to them and grow them that way. But you, you, you get the point. You can plant a church, but then you can't just say, there, we've arrived. And, and everyone who's been part of the church plant knows that. Churches go through life cycles, and even churches that get planted, then they go through a period from adolescence, or sorry, from birth through to adolescence. And it's an exciting time. Mission and vision is, is driving the church, and the, the structures are lean and flexible, and you're able to really engage in mission. But over time, you, you move towards um, what's called adulthood or maturity in that life cycle and it, it can scare some people because it's a time when you as Tim Keller puts it you, you need to organize the organism and the fear is that you become institutional and that is a real danger you should be aware of but it's good to it's okay to in some ways 
organized. I don't want to say become an institution because it sounds so bad, but adulthood. And part of what I'm doing with this church in, in Guelph is saying it's okay to, to move into adulthood. How can we do that without losing that missional thrust that has made this church what it is? But then the problem or the danger is you reach that level of maturity in adulthood where systems are in place and the church is really going well and it maybe still has that good missional thrust, but you can plateau there and you can stagnate and then you start moving down to decline. So what healthy churches do is they realize you've got to keep trying to grow and become a better church. If we define better properly. Because the truth is, as this passage in Ephesians shows us, the goal of the church is like our Christian lives. We don't arrive at a point of perfect sanctification in this life. We're to keep aiming to grow to maturity in Christ. And it's the same with the church. It's a process. This is a great church. It was planted. It's growing through adolescence. and Probably somewhere in that adulthood stage. And what can be done, though, to keep it as a good church and help it keep maturing, keep growing, keep getting better? Because, again, look what Paul says there in verse 13. The goal is to attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what we want to grow into. And how does it happen? Well, Jesus builds his church. I think we'd all agree on that. But the truth is, he uses you and me. He uses us to do it. See that at the very end of the passage, it says, When each part, it says that when each part is working properly, the body grows so that it builds itself up in love. So Jesus builds the church and he uses you, he uses us, that you have a role personally and as a community to play in building up the body of Christ. Now I want to just see from this passage four actions, four habits, four things that we can all do. And when we do, we'll be, we want to be those parts working properly so the body builds itself up in love. Here are four things from this passage that help us to do that. First, to build up the body of Christ Continually put on the character of Christ. This is the first word and the last word when it comes to being a good church and building up the body of Christ. It's the first word and the last word in this text. It's the first and last word in reality. Putting on the character, the loving character of Christ. You can have great mission, vision, values, great leader, great gifts. Without these Christ-like virtues, it all really amounts to nothing. And flip that around, if you have this character deep in your heart and in your community, it'll really on its own almost lead you everywhere you need to go. You want all that other stuff, the mission, the vision, the strategy, the heart of the matter is this virtue. Hence where Paul begins. Urging us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We've been called to belong to Christ. Saved by grace through faith. Read that first half of Ephesians 2. And by virtue of that, and once that's happened, we're automatically brought into Christ's church. 
He's created one body through the cross. Second half of Ephesians chapter 2. So we're in Christ and we're in the church. This is a great calling. And we're to walk in a manner worthy of it. And here Paul's introducing the whole ethical section, chapters 4 to 6 of Ephesians. But he's also introducing this particular passage and saying these, these are the virtues. This is the character to put on in order to build up the body of Christ. Humility. Putting others ahead of yourself. Gentleness or meekness. We have great power, but is it under control? Patience, forbearance, extending each other, long, long leash, long rope. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. This starts to get the second action, but it belongs here in the first place with these virtues, this commitment to being a person and a people of peace. This is the character that's required of us to build up the body of Christ and to be good. Church, now, this, maybe this all sounds like a bunch of kumbaya type stuff. Of course, like, we've heard all this before. We should be loving and patient and all this. But really stop and think, like, the fact that he says all this is because he knows that our human tendency is to go in the opposite direction on all of these things. Like, I'm not naturally a humble person. <laughs> I'm full of pride. I want my way, not your way. I prefer me over you in my fallen state. We're not, all of us, inclined naturally to be meek, to be gentle. We can be abusive. We can be aggressive. We can be passive-aggressive. Why would we be called to show each other patience and forbearance, except for the fact that we test each other's patience, we exasperate, we provoke each other, so this is a very realistic vision here of what is needed because of how human community often works. How can we go in a different direction and be something countercultural? One of the things that my church in Gulf's working through right now is articulating again or refreshing our sense of core values. Redeemer has some of these and they're great. You can read them on the website. And as we read about core values, one guy we're reading, he says, what are those things that really define you, that set you apart from the world? And some are searching for this novel set of of values and this creative language. And that might be all well and good. But really, this list of virtues right here are core values that will set a community apart from what others can find in the world. Humility. Gentleness. Patience, forbearance, peace. This is the character of Christ. So put this on and live this out in community. Being patient with one another. Realizing that this is a process too. There are times when we'll fail, when we'll exasperate, when we need to repent. And as Ephesians, Paul says in Ephesians elsewhere, forgive each other. As in Christ God forgave you. So continually... Put on this character foundation. And then moving on to another foundation. The second thing we're going to do is to maintain maintain your God-given unity. Saw that direction starting in verse 3. Be eager, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit 
in the bond of peace. Unity. Peace. This isn't just something that those soft-headed Christians across town do. This is something that all of God's people are to be eager for in the broader church and within each congregation. Eager, eager to maintain this. Now that's, that language is important because you maintain something you already have. That's the language of protecting and preserving something. So there's something already there that we're to protect. This very same passage speaks of attaining to the unity in the faith. So both are true. There's a sense in which we have a unity and which we're to grow further into it. And I think if you look at the two parts, that unity we're trying to attain to and grow into, unity in in doctrine and and teaching would, would concern a lot of secondary matters, important but secondary matters, the unity we're called to maintain and preserve is, is concerns those foundational matters that we have in common that aren't up for grabs. And in the midst of all our God-given diversity, there's a oneness to us. There are these things we share in common that we're to rally around and it will keep us unified. Paul lists seven ones here. One body the church. There's one spirit, one Lord, one God and Father over all. This is the, the Trinity. One hope, one faith, one baptism. This is our Christian faith in Christ. So we have our differences. Diversity is a good thing. Racial diversity. We have diversity in personalities, political outlooks, Some of these we're comfortable with. Some of them we're less comfortable with. There's all kinds of difference. Difference in secondary matters. Maybe different views on the timing of the millennium in this room right here. I bet you you have those kind of differences. But we have this shared common Christian identity in these foundational matters of our faith. So to stay unified, we need to remember that and hold these other differences around what we have in common. If we, if we don't rally around what we have in common at our core, then these other differences can divide us. And when we find ourselves getting strained by our differences, if we come back and remember what we have in common, these are the things that will bind us together and make us remember, oh yeah, we, these other things, that they're different and we're kind of rubbing each other the wrong way, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We worship the same God. We have the same faith. We're part of the same church. We're one. Just keep teaching, preaching this as the main thing. Celebrating it in, in song and in, in, in prayer. Keeping a focus on the main things. Even as we talk about those secondary matters. There's a good phrase often attributed to Augustine. Probably, as I understand, came from some 17th century little-known Lutheran theologian, but you've probably heard this before, that our aim should be to have in essentials unity, in non-essentials diversity, and in all things charity, love. That's really a great way of summarizing, capturing the heart of this passage as a whole. We ought to be eager, eager 
to do this, to maintain this unity in our common faith. Now, I love where the passage goes next. There's this wonderful balance in this passage, because just after emphasizing the oneness we have in Christ, Paul goes in the very next line to, to speak to the diversity that we have in Christ. And we have all kinds of diversity. We spoke to a few of those dimensions just a moment ago. Here, the diversity that comes into the passage concerns spiritual gifts. Everybody in this room, if you belong to Christ, you have some spiritual gift. And it's his will that you would use it to build up the body of Christ. Right after these seven ones, Paul says, but, strong adversative, here's a contrast, one God, one Father, all this, all these ones, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This isn't the saving grace, as though that's apportioned out differently and Jesus saves us in different ways. This is the grace of spiritual gifts. And there's this quote from Psalm 68 and this parenthetical statement of Jesus ascending and descending and the open commentaries. And there's all kinds of debate on this. I remember having to write a paper in exegesis class on this. I don't even remember what I argued and I'm sure I wasn't right. It's a mysterious saying. Overall point is that as Jesus ascended as Lord of his church, he gifted his church. And one kind of gifts mentioned here are are certain people gifts. Prophets, or apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers that Jesus has given to the church. And whenever I preach on this, I feel so good about myself. I'm standing up here on my elevated platform now, and I am a gift given to the church, right? I'm kind of a big deal. What the text says, of course, you know, that's absolutely ridiculous that I started thinking like that. The whole purpose Jesus gave these people gifts to the church, pastors and teachers, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Not so that Paul Donk or Mike Anderson, that we would think we're a big deal. We can. It can go to our head. It's not so that we would do all the work of the ministry, though we may take it on ourselves, or others might say, well, we pay you to do it, so do the ministry. You do pay us. We appreciate it. We have a job to do, and that job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You're a priesthood of believers. The mission of ministry of the church belongs to you under the lordship of Jesus. And you have a gift. Grace was given to each one of us. And you're called to use it to serve one another. To build up the body. Now, if you're like me, you wonder, how does this actually work? How does using your gift, each one doing that, build up the body? I think it happens in a number of different ways. Part of it is that when you use your gift, you actually grow in spiritual maturity. Particularly when you use your gift to serve others. You put on that humility and that serving focus you're going to be growing in spiritual maturity yourself. And a congregation of people all growing in maturity is going to be built up in love, 
as you serve in ministry, you're going to be serving with others, and relationships grow. And this strengthens the, in this body, and it just strengthens the, the sinews, the, the connective tissues in the church, in the body. And as diverse gifts are used, diverse needs are met. If I use a teaching gift, and you learn from that, and you grow in your faith, and if you have the gift of hospitality and invite me over, you're welcome to do it. We share a meal, maybe with some other friends, maybe even an unchurched neighbor is there, and the gospel shared with them, or we encourage each other in the faith, and somebody else, a real gift of empathy, coming alongside a hurting person, and speaking a word of encouragement to them, or... Someone's got a need at their house. Someone's moving and a group from the church says, hey, how can we help you out? Because there's a diversity of gifts. You can read about them in, in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians um, 12 to 14. I like how 1 Peter in chapter 4 just breaks them all down into teaching gifts and serving gifts. And there's a whole bunch of diversity and variety within that. But as... Diverse gifts are used, diverse needs are met, and a body is strengthened and grows. We've got to let each other just be ourselves, not try to fit each other like cogs in a wheel to get a job done, but to say, I want you to use your gift and engage in the ministry God's given you. That might mean saying no to some things, and that might mean being willing to accept them. That someone says, no, I'm not going to do this so I can do that. And an organic view of gifts says, let's just accept the fact that whoever God's given us, and if everyone just uses what God's given them, will be who God wants us to be and do what God wants us to do. Now, um, I was going to say the Olympics are coming up next year. And Olympics are a time when you watch sports that you don't normally watch. And I love playing volleyball. I've played all my life, but I almost never watch volleyball. Last time the Olympics rolled around, I was watching it, and it really stood out to me as a great image of the body of Christ that were. You got this team, and they're on the floor, and players are playing their different part. Some are hitters, some are setters, some are off power, some are defensive specialists or back row specialists. And they're all working together with their different gifts to accomplish a goal. And the coach, if you watch him, is very active on the sidelines, directing traffic. He, he's not out doing it. They've got to do it. But he's very active in coaching. And then you see that sort of thing in a lot of sports. But after each point is played, this is what stood out to me. It didn't matter what team it was. They all did this. After a point was played, they quickly huddle up together, rehash what just happened. We win one, we celebrate, we lose one, what went wrong. Often somebody messed up, and they're in there, my bad. Someone else gives me a pat on the back, it's okay. Like they're encouraging each other, they're working together, they're failing, they're succeeding. What a picture of the body of Christ, each using their gifts, helping the body grow. Fourthly, Build up the body of Christ by continuing to speak the truth in love. There's a lot I could say about this and a lot I plan to say and a lot I'm not going to say. Because I'm committed to landing the plane and 
I don't want to, you know when you're playing as much as a storm, we've got to circle back and spend another hour. I'm not going to do that. And honestly, a lot of what I would like to say here, I don't think I have to say here. I just want to hit it briefly, though. I don't want to assume too much, and we don't want to take this for granted. There's a, a balance, a tension, the balance we need because of attention that in the church we need to speak the truth. The truth sets us free. The truth of the gospel is what saved us. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We need to be committed to truth. We don't want to be tossed to and fro by waves of doctrine that would want to pull us away from Christ. But we need to do so in love. And I spent a lot of time in pretty conservative evangelical circles and enough to know there are some people who really prize the truth over love or think that the way they love you is by hammering you over the head with truth. And I know there are others who think doctrine divides and love unites and they're all on the love side, but as John Stott put it so well, love without truth grows soft and truth without love grows hard. And the body is built up as we speak the truth in love. And why I don't have to say a ton about this here is this. What drew me to KW Redeemer and to Grace West in Toronto before that, Sister Church, was something that Pastor Paul articulated well. It captured for me what I intuitively felt. What drew me here is that this is a church that aims to have a solid truth-driven, biblical, theological foundation and a generous, loving posture. And Paul Dunk embodies that. Solid posture, solid position, generous posture, speaking the truth in love. This is the strength of this church. Live into this. Because again, so many tend to that hard truth or that soft love. Build this body up. Continue to speak the truth in love. And as you do this, put on Christ-like character. Maintain your God-given unity and use your diverse gifts to serve one another. The body's going to grow and be built up. How does that all work? I don't know exactly. The text says that it does. And as we say, to go back to sports, as we sometimes say or in training, you've got to trust the process. That as you do these actions we're called to, Jesus is going to build up his church. And that's the bottom line of the last word. We trust the process, but we trust the person, Jesus. It's his body. He's the life. He's the source. And as we do our part, as the text tells us at the end, We grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Jesus, this body is your church. This church is your body. I 
Thank you for KW Redeemer, for its planting, for its growth. I pray that it would continue to be built up in love by your strength and power. And as you help and equip and enable each and every member to do the part you have given to them. We ask it in your name. Amen.